HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Root 11 Potato Chips. Made with a secret recipe and superior ingredients, their mission is to make an outstanding product in a safe and clean environment. To learn more, visit rt11.com. As the news of coronavirus reverberates throughout the world, we at HRN are especially concerned about how coronavirus will impact our food system. We will use our platform to support the restaurant, agriculture, hospitality, and other food-related industries by maintaining our coverage and operations. As social distancing becomes the temporary norm, podcasts are more important than ever. There's never been a more crucial time to stay informed about the state of our food system and the way that food connects our global community. We're sharing all of our COVID-19 coverage at heritageradionetwork.org slash COVID-19. From interviews with nonprofit leaders and journalists, to firsthand accounts from chefs and restaurant owners, to reports on how the crisis is affecting regional farms. Our team is working remotely from all over to keep food radio alive. HRN needs your support more than ever to keep sharing essential stories and resources with our listeners. Make a donation of any amount. Visit heritageradionetwork.org slash donate. Welcome to Processing, a show about the intersection between food and grief with your hosts, Zara Tangora and Bobby Comforto. Hey, everyone. I uh, hope that you guys are hanging in there. Um, another kind of just crazy week of, I don't know, trying to get get through. This week, for me personally, was a little bit um, less pleasant than other weeks. And I don't, I've kind of talked to a few other folks who are feeling the same way. I don't know if it's something cosmic or personal, but um, if you're also having a challenging week, my heart goes out to you very much. And uh, I hope that you find your way through sooner than later. Um, today on the show, we have a crisis catch-up part three. And crisis catch-up, I feel like, could also be the name of a band, right? Like, we are crisis catch-up, one, two, one, two, three, four. But um, no, this is a crisis catching up episode with three of our wonderful former guests. Um, we have Jess Quinn, who you might remember from uh, a couple months ago, her episode aired, her mother passed away 
um, from complications of dementia. And uh, she's just a lovely person. She's a pastry chef at Resdora in Manhattan. And she joins us to talk about uh, what it's like still working in a restaurant that was once functioning in a very different capacity than it is now. Um, Jessie Sheehan, whose episode aired last week, uh, The Vintage Baker, um, she comes on to talk about how her capacity to be helpful through her joy and lightheartedness and fun recipes is very helpful to people in the community right now um, who just need a little bit of a break, which I think we all do. And I love her recipes and I made her chocolate cake last week, a sour, sour cream chocolate cake because I ordered way too much sour cream from Baldor um, for one person. More sour cream than one person could eat in, I don't know, 10 or 15 years. So anyway, I turned some of it into a cake and it was delicious. Um, and then we also have Jenny Indig, who uh, was our guest for our Mother's Day episode. And she joins us to talk a little bit about what's been going on with her and how uh, the loss of her mom to cancer is, has prepared her a little bit Um for this pain and trauma and crazy experience that we're going through now. So we hope that you enjoy this episode. And as always, please reach out to us with any listener letters or problems or poems or stories, um, anything that you want to tell us about, please. Um, Yeah, just send it to processing at heritageradionetwork.org and we will either privately respond to you if that's your wish or we can share your story or listener letter uh, query, question, whatever it may be on the air. So hang in there, guys. Take care of yourself. Take care of something. Take care of yourselves and also each other um, through this time and all times. Okay, thank you so much and enjoy this Crisis Catch-Up, um, the musical, coming this winter to a theater near you. Okay, bye. Okay. Hi. We are here with the former guest and just friend of the show, Jess Quinn. Jess, hi. How are you? I'm good. Hi, guys. Hi, hi. Jessica. So you said that you are, we were just chit-chatting for a minute before the show started, and you said that you're at work. You're the pastry chef at Resdora, right? Correct. And uh, you're, you were saying that you're you're busy for Mother's Day, which was exciting to hear that you guys, I mean, I know it's probably such a different kind of busy, but can you tell us a little bit about what it's been like at the restaurant? And just maybe just fill people in a little bit about who don't know what Resdora is, um, yeah. what the restaurant is in the first place. Absolutely. So uh, Resdora is a Northern Italian restaurant. Uh, we're open in Flatiron in Manhattan and uh it is actually our one-year birthday on Sunday. Oh my God! Wow. Happy birthday! <laughs> we've we've made it, sort of. <laughs> um, amazing. So, and you are the pastry chef, and just you you wrote an amazing piece, a really lovely essay for Grub Street, um, and just kind of talking about what it's like for chefs and restaurants uh, that are still kind of trying to operate right now, and the just just incredibly distinct difference in 
the level of service and care that we were all used to providing for guests only months ago and what it's like now. So can you just tell us a little bit about how Resdora as such like a high-end restaurant, how are you guys, how have you kind of adapted to this crisis to keep business going? Um, so we kind of jumped into gear pretty quickly. As soon as we had our last service on March 16th, um, we had been kind of preparing uh, a few days before that to kind of switch over to delivery and pickup. Because uh, as soon as the mandate came in that all restaurants had to be at 50% capacity, we knew that that wasn't something that could sustain a restaurant alone. Um, and we knew that it was just a matter of time before restaurants would be closed completely. So we like started getting in our packages of boxes to go and just kind of discussing what kind of menu items would travel easily and just translate sort of what the cohesive theme of the restaurant is and just kind of figure out a way how can we still be Resdora, but Resdora to go and Resdora at home. Yeah. And how is it, how is it working out? Um, so funny enough, it turned out that, you know, most of our menu items were easily translatable and, um, the menu that we were open with when we were a full service restaurant is essentially the same menu that we now have for delivery and pickup. So, wow. um, nothing has really been lost too much. Um, you know, a lot of people think, you know, pasta to go, it's blasphemy because obviously the whole concept is that it's going to be al dente and everything and it might be overcooked but uh you know there are certain concessions that need to be made to kind of keep us going totally absolutely um and i mean so i feel like it's been so interesting talking to our former guests because we already have like you know rapport we know your story we kind of know a little bit about you um and just from knowing uh how resilient you were when it came to the crisis with your mom and her battle with dementia and her declining health and all that, like, do you feel like when this kind of came about that you were, I mean, I'm sure it brought up a lot of feelings of which like we want to hear about. Um, but I guess my question is just like, do you feel like you're in any way better or more well-equipped to kind of spring into action and be adaptable uh, in, in crisis? It's funny that you use that word. Cause I kept using that word as well to describe the situation where I was just like, I feel like I am adaptable for a crisis and I feel like I'd been kind of preparing just mentally and emotionally for what was coming uh, just for a little while. And I mean, yeah, the whole experience with my mom, I was like, shit happens and you need to kind of change with the situation to make it work for you. Yeah. Um, yep. You know, and I just kind of knew that whatever was going to happen, you know, we needed to pull through it together and that there would be tough days and there are tough days, but, you know, I think it would be naive to think that like surviving through an experience that is as traumatic as this. And I say traumatic because there are days where I feel like the world is ending and there are days where I think everything's fine. <laughs> yeah. I'm like seesaw of emotions. Mm. I mean, I, you know, it takes a certain kind of person to be able to handle it and deal with it. And, you know, I'd like to think that I kind of experienced that same yo-yo of emotions with my mom. And so like, I'm, I'm used to it in a screwed up sense, right. but you know, it's obviously not the same, but it's like you can handle seasickness. It's like being out on a rough ocean. You know, I, I've uh, decided, you know, we have that saying, we're all in the same boat. 
And I realized we are not all in the same boat. We're in different boats on the same ocean doing differently. Mm, that's a beautiful way to put it, Bobby. It's true, right? Yeah. And I think it's, I think that's way, that's such a kind of more human and realistic way of looking at it because I think the sentiment of like, we're all in the same boat, I, I think it comes from a very earnest place and a kind place, but it's also alienating. And if you're really suffering and struggling and you're packed in a house with, you know, six kids and a tiny apartment and can't pay the bills and are, you know, facing starvation, you're definitely not in the same boat as somebody. Or if you've had losses. Right. Or people have paired. Exactly. So that's a really good way of putting it because we do all want to feel connected, right? Like we are all experiencing a crisis, but I think saying we're all in the same boat is like alienating for people. Um, Jess, it's funny when you're saying that I, I recently started uh, one of my privileged, um, you know, quarantine things. And I say privilege just because I feel lucky to be able to be able to take up a new hobby. Well, just what we're saying, like so many people can't. So one of my things that I've been lucky enough to be able to do is learn to play guitar. And (laughs) I am developing calluses on my fingers. And people are before I started playing, they're like, Oh, have you gotten the calluses yet? And I was like, No. And then all of a sudden, I started seeing these calluses on my finger from playing guitar. And I kind of think that what you were saying about being prepared for this in a way emotionally is similar, right? Like you're kind of not, I don't mean calloused and like, you know, you're hardened and you don't feel, but I feel like it's the same thing. I feel like you're, you've built your tolerance a little bit for pain and crisis and trauma. Is that, does that feel true? It does. Um, I also feel like part of dealing with my mom, I had to develop sort of this ability to come, compartmentalize what's Mm -hmm. going on just to be able to get through what's happening. And I feel like I made the very conscious decision that like there was going to be hard days ahead, but I was determined that if this restaurant and this community and family that we've worked so hard to build was going to sustain and last, and, you know, there was going to be hopefully something at the end of the tunnel, you know, I was like, every day can't be this crushing weight. And, you know, every day can't just be this, you know, huge emotional like roller coaster. And so a lot of times, you know, I wake up and for me, routine is really important. I wake up, I have my coffee, I go to work and I try and, you know, do the best I can. But, you know, the picture is obviously different. Like everything looks different. You know, I used to ride the subway. I don't ride the subway. I, I bought a bike. So I ride my bike out to work. Uh mm-hmm. You know, we are in gloves and masks and we can't touch. And, you know, in in kitchens, you walk into the kitchen and you kind of you high five or you shake hands or you give each other a hug. And it's just kind of it sounds silly because, you know, the idea of a hug or like a fist pound has never taken on such a significance before until now when you can't do it. Um, But we developed this cute little uh, soccer kick move where we touch feet. When we oh, see that's cute. Right. <laughs> so cute. Mom, do you find that with your in your practice that um I'm sure you're coming you know, speaking with lots of folks that are just, you know, experiencing extreme panic and fear and trauma from this and like a daily dose of just upsetment. Do you feel do you find yourself trying to give people the same advice in your practice of like, you know, giving yourself a little brain break here and there? Or is that like a logical term for that? I actually started making newsletters every week. And what I do is I think about all the things that people said all week and I make notes and then I make newsletters that help them think about things. And all the kind of same topics that I dealt with with grief, 
you know, resilience and serenity and mindfulness and self-regulation and fear and our inner resources and stress reduction and gratitude, all those things. So it's really very similar because there are so many losses now that everybody's experiencing. And Jess, you're telling us, you know, the losses in the restaurant and your, you know, the threat to, um, you know, your stability and career and all those kinds of things. It sounds like you have such a strong intention to, to help make it work. I, you know, I have such a love for this community and this industry that, uh, you know, the, the first week was probably the hardest just because, you know, I, I have followed the careers and like the trajectory of these restaurant successes for what feels like my entire life. And to see restaurants close one by one and make these heartfelt posts and start the GoFundMe pages for their staff, it, you know, it hit really hard. And I think it was, you know, there was just one day where I let myself sit on the couch and cry. Like I had, you know, I like there was, there was this like two day period where all these different chefs were reaching out to each other and just being like, how are you? Like, how's the restaurant? Are you going to close? Are you going to stay open? And this was before, you know, we were mandated to close Mm -hmm. and it it felt like these farewells and it felt like um, there was an ending coming and to a point, you know, it, it has happened. There is an ending because when we reopen, things aren't going to go back to the way they are. It's going to look different. It's going to feel different. Yeah. And so it felt like a chapter was definitely, you know, ending and something new was coming and change is scary, especially when you have no idea what this sort of new story is going to look like. And I guess that's part of having had a loss like you did of your mom. And we were talking about, you know, Zara opened up with asking, you know, did the things you learn in the in the grieving process and the loss help you? You know, part of that is realizing that we do survive, but we're changed. We are forever changed, despite all the different kinds of losses and adaptations that we make. Yeah, yeah, it's true. Um, there's definitely, I think that when you when you are grieving or you have a heavy loss, I think that there's a resilience that you learn that you're capable of that until I think you've gone through that, you know, you don't know what you're made of. You don't know what you're capable of until I think you experience what you think is the worst possible situation. And then you find out that you're still breathing and you're still living your life afterwards. Right. That's yeah. great. We're totally. going to quote, quote you on that. You don't know what you're made of. Yeah, that's, that's an incredible sentiment. And I think that, you know, I'll speak from my own experience with loss is that I think, you know, mom, to what you were saying that like, you're forever changed. I think there's also some kind of assumption that in the changed version of you is worse, because it's sadder, right? right? Like, because it's the changed version, and you've experienced loss. So there's been like something knocked out of you like you're one peg down or something right right that's and an assumption can, right and it can definitely feel like that for a while and maybe it's like that forever i everyone's loss is so individual and i certainly can't make a blanket statement about this but it's not necessarily worse even if it is for a little bit like you know the resilience factor is so meaningful and it's so interesting when i think about restaurants and I obviously, I feel the same way as you do, Jess, about restaurants and their importance and their impact and the community and what they offer to the world and um, and the people that come in them and the people who work there, they're extremely important. But um, maybe in this kind of like, you don't know what you're made of kind of thing that you're talking about, what we're all circling around right now, is that 
maybe there's like a deeper level we can even go to. You know what I mean? Maybe there's like, I think in this current just kind of Instagram culture and there's just, you know, maybe some, I think as a world and definitely in a restaurant community, we've gotten a little bit away from the point at times. And I would hope that if any positive comes out of it, you know, um, the, the lasting imprint is that maybe we become more earnest and realize, you know, the real meaning and what we're all doing and the point of it all. Right. So the opportunity for new meaning, you know, it's that concept, there's a concept called post-traumatic growth. And I think when you go through trauma, you do develop new meaning. So that's a really good way of putting it. So what do you think, Jess, about, as Ara was saying about the restaurant business and finding a different meaning or purpose in it? Well, I've been having this conversation, I feel like, with my wife a lot because my wife was the sous chef of a restaurant in Brooklyn, and so she's been furloughed, so she's been at home for the last month and a half. Um, so it's been, like, this funny dichotomy for us because I go to work and she stays home, and we both come from the same profession. So, like, mm-hmm. I come home and just go through, like, the minutia of my day because she just wants to hear about it. And mm-hmm. um, she's been cooking at home a lot more, um, which, you know, is a misconception that chefs are always eating ah. really well when they're home because that's not true totally not true Um, but now now it's like I come home and we have these like really elaborate thoughtful meals and um I feel like it's almost brought us back to sort of why we started cooking in the first place and you know a huge part of the restaurant industry is obviously pleasing your guests and you know there's this just a very stressed point that like the guests come first and you need to cook for them and make them happy and and, you know, you need to chef it up and just make everything, you know, Instagrammable. And I think that this experience has kind of brought us back to a different point in our lives where food is meant to nourish and it's meant to heal and not just the people that are eating it, but the people that are making it. And, it. Yeah, totally. And it's an exchange of compassion, honestly, like, right. That's really what a restaurant should be, an exchange of love and compassion. Sorry to cut you off. No, 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 it's yeah. true. And like one of my favorite things is um, uh, now that I have the bike, I like sometimes make a special treat at work and I'll, I'll ride it over on my bike and like yeah. just drop it off for a friend or something. And it's yeah. been some of the probably just like the nicest feeling moments I've had in a long time. And then I did, it's like, I kind of went back to why I started baking in the first place. And it's like the pressure is gone, but the love and the compassion and this desperation to kind of bring people comfort has been what it's been replaced with. And it, it feels more honest, I suppose. Yeah. But you you know, it's also the way, if I may say, it's also the way you're looking at it. You know, I don't imagine everybody is seeing it that way, but that's wonderful that you have that view. I didn't mean to interrupt you, Zara. No, 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 not at all. It's hard to podcast yeah. in this format because <laughs> you can't give yourself right. other the um, I, you know, the uh, nonverbal cues. To or the like, cake under know. the table. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> um, no, I was going to say that, um, you know, we don't, the biggest and most important changes that happen in our lives um, on a personal level and on a world level. Uh, the growth that happens, like, is usually things that we don't want to happen. You know what I mean? It's so rare that you grow exponentially as a person or as a community from something that was great. It just doesn't really happen that way because I think that growth is really about loss, and we kind of try to evade loss as human beings at, at every opportunity. Right. No one's ever like, I'm so eager to lose a loved one or my job or 
to be knocked completely on my ass. But I think we all know that like, those are the times when um, things really start to happen again. I mean, you could look at it so deep. Yeah, well, you can look at it just from an actual like evolutionary standpoint, Mm -hmm. is that um, when great freezes happen, and when great, you know what I mean, when asteroids hit, and I mean, that is when things like restart over again. Um, Nobody wants it, right? Like nobody would ever be like, I hope that a global pandemic happens and (laughs) decimates the restaurant industry so that we can actually get closer to the point. But like, we also have to ask ourselves, like, I wonder what would have happened if this didn't happen? You know what I mean? Like, do you lose the poignancy and importance of restaurants just like in a different way that we wouldn't have known? You know what I mean? I think about that a lot too. And also in relation to my mom, where like, after I lost my mom, there was this feeling of I've already gone through the worst. Um, I don't have anything left to lose. And when you have sort of this, I don't have anything left to lose mentality, things that you thought were maybe out of your reach suddenly become a little closer within your grasp because you're not, you're not limiting yourself the same way. I feel the same way about everything that's happening now. I see so many people doing things that they never thought they could do, picking up new skills, new hobbies, even career changes that they've been thinking about now seem more plausible. Remember Janice Joplin? She said, freedom's just another word for nothing left to lose. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I I like that sentiment. And it's inspiring to see people who, you know, are going through something so traumatic and turning it into something positive. And in the same respect, people who are going through something traumatic and don't want to do anything except for just survive. I applaud them, too, because I think that every person is different and everyone's doing it in you know the the best way they can totally exactly. well it's a real opportunity for bravery but i think that bravery can look Take different forms. to everybody right like so bravery can just be like just waking up in the morning and not exactly. killing yourself honestly and bravery can be like making you know a pot of soup for your family and bravery can be changing careers but it is an opportunity to you know just be able to be bold because there is like so much less at stake and just you know, when you're faced with the fact that, oh, we could all perish tomorrow, really. What what the fuck is the difference at that point if I try to do something different with my life or if I say the thing I wanted to say? You know, it can be as simple as being like, I've been in love with someone for a long time and I want to say it or I don't want to be in this shitty relationship anymore. I right, want right. to, you know what I mean? Like, whatever it is. But, but it reminded me, Jess, what you started out with, which is that um, most of us are going up and down. You know, it's not just, you know, that every moment we feel this is an opportunity there's times when it feels so despairing but that we can rise above that that we can just rise above it i have this great quote i put in my newsletter this week i gotta read it it's from goethe who was a german philosopher and he said i have come to the frightening conclusion that i am the decisive element it is my personal approach that creates the climate it is my daily mood that makes the weather i possess tremendous power to make my life miserable or joyous I can be a tool of torture or an instrument of inspiration. Wow. That's really beautiful, Bobby. Yeah, I love that. And Jess, it is so good to talk to you. You are such an inspiring and beautiful human being. You really are. You really are very, like, I was really looking forward to chatting with you. And I, Bobby and I actually had listened on our last trip into the city to your, um, interview as we were going to right before coronavirus broke out Bobby and I were I was driving her to a doctor's appointment at New York Presbyterian and it was like kind of a scary day and we were listening to your 
processing interview and just both lamenting and laughing and smiling and sending you so much love because you're just a beautiful human being. Oh, well, I love chatting with both of you. Yeah, you're the best. Can you tell us, um, we really want to make sure to give a good plug for not only Resdora and what you guys are doing, we definitely want to know how people can order and stuff. Sorry. Any other, oh no, just want to do, if you could give a plug for Resdora and let people know how to order, um, etc. And then if there's any other restaurants, I mean, I'm sure there's tons, but if there's anything that comes to mind or anything else you want to plug, please. This is your your opportunity. And also tell us what you're making there so they can order that specifically. Yeah. <laughs> um, so Resdora is still open seven days a week. We're doing delivery and pickup. You can call either the restaurant to place your order or we have all of our deliveries through Caviar. Um, me personally, I have my tiramisus and all of my gelatos that I spin fresh every morning. Uh, and we have Mother's Day pickups that are still available for this Sunday. And I'm making a lemon ricotta cake with mascarpone cream and vanilla bean roasted strawberries. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that sounds good. <laughs> and you promised us that someday we're going to go to Brighton Beach. When everything right? is open and ready to roll, I can't wait to take you guys there. Okay. Can't wait either. Okay, Jess, we love you and thank you so much. This was so wonderful. And everybody uh, listening, please read Jess's article uh, in Grub Street. It came out what, like a month ago, Jess? Yeah. Maybe a little bit more. Really lovely. You're a great writer, and it was like really beautiful. So thank you for joining us. This was wonderful. Thank you. I love talking with you guys, and I hope <laughs> to see you guys soon. Okay, okay. take care. Bye. This episode is brought to you by Route 11 Potato Chips. From the moment Route 11 dropped their first batch of chips back in the early days of 1992, they understood their destiny as a high-quality producer. Instead of succumbing to the frenzy of mass production, they took advantage of their small size and made chipping a personal art form. The payoff was immediate, an incredible potato chip. With a secret recipe and superior ingredients, their mission is to make an outstanding product in a safe and clean environment. In this world of uncertainty that we live in, Root 11 Potato Chips believe comfort food can be just that. Know where your food comes from. To learn more, visit rt11.com. Awesome. So we are here with Jesse Sheehan. Jesse, hi. It's so nice to talk to you. So nice to talk to you guys too. And I have to ask, are you guys like social distancing and quarantining together or have you not seen each other? Both. We are quarantining separately, but okay. we have met on Robert Moses Beach early morning, um, masked up and distanced for a walk. So we oh. have seen each other and we are not quarantining together. Good. I'm happy it, to hear that. It was yeah. such a joy to see her. I can't begin to tell you how happy I was. I missed her so much. So it was oh great. my God. I can't <laughs> imagine. I know. Yeah. yeah. What about you? What's your quarantine situation so like? My sitch is, um, although I live in Brooklyn and Red Hook, as I think you guys know, mm-hmm. I also have a home in Sharon, Connecticut. Okay. So I am there and have been here since like mid-March with my husband. He hasn't been here the whole time, but when he can be here, he is. And my um, 
and my two um, teenage boys and my dog. Ah, okay, cool. And how is it go- like? How is it going? So I'm- it's um, I have found um, <laughs> while quarantined that I have discovered that I'm actually a little bit more of an introvert than I realized, oh. and that I am fine. Like, of, of course, I miss my friends. I love my friends. I love being social. I love hanging out with peeps. But I'm also 100% fine hanging out with my husband, with my boys, texting my friends occasionally. I think I've done two of those like Zoom cocktail parties, like mm-hmm. with another couple. But like, I'm not like a rampant Zoom cocktailer. <laughs> um, and, um, All day long. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I have... Uh, yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I fear that may be like, I don't know, annoying to people that I, that that has been my feeling or situation. But I, I have not found that aspect of this that bad. What I find bad is thinking about people who lost their jobs, thinking about people who can't get like, who can't get food. All of the ways this has impacted people in in um so intensely and so. Yes. Um, sadly, but for me personally, you know, I'm being with my family and not being with my friends and not being able to be social, at least that part of it has been fine. And we are fortunate enough, like we have enough food and we're in a pretty place and, you know, so we can be outside and not have to worry about social distancing, um, that kind of thing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, I think it's important to, I think that there is an element of guilt that comes along with being in a situation of privilege now to an extent and being like, God, because, you know, we're seeing all these folks in the world and everyone's situation is in such a varying degree of severity being, whether it's because of poverty or sickness or social injustice, uh, racial injustice, all kinds of things that are happening that are so terrible. And I think, you know, if we are lucky enough to be in a kind of good place, there's a guilt that comes along with it. But I think the flip side of that is acknowledging that and then being able to kind of you know, potentially be a helper because it is important to have people who are, if you are in a strong state of mind and in in a positive place, you're in a better position to be able to be helpful in one way or another to folks who aren't, you know? And I mean, I think that if we were all, uh, and also like just acknowledging it, like how you are is, is important in terms of just like Bobby was just saying earlier that there's a sentiment that we're all in the same boat. And being honest about the fact that, what did you say, Bobby, that we're not all I the said same we're boat. not all in the same boat. We're in the same rough waters in different boats. Right. And it's interesting because we kind of landed in a boat. Each one of us, wherever this hit us, right at that moment, we landed in that boat pretty much. We weren't yeah. able to make that many adjustments. It was what, what it was. Yeah, and, 100%. I mean, we've yeah. tried, you know, um, whatever, all my friends with their restaurants and, uh, you know, go the GoFundMe campaigns, you know, when one is able to contribute to those. I do think that makes a difference, you know, when when restaurants set up employee funds, because so many of my friends, as I'm sure yours as well, Zara, in the in the food industry have lost their jobs. Like totally. It's my you know, the different um uh outlets that I work for, people have been laid off and work as a freelancer has I mean, dried up ish. Because I think I think because advertising is such a big part, even of an online site, yeah. um, and they don't have their advertising money. Um, we have like hospital a hospital here, and you know we're by the by the 
employees lunch. You know, you, you try yeah. to do the thing. We started a GoFundMe for a grocery store here. You, tr- you try to do just what, just what Bobby said. We're all, we're all in the rough waters. Some of us, I guess, would you say have nicer boats? I don't know, but um, yeah, you try to yeah. figure out a way that you can, you know, feel like you are helping the people in the boats that look different than your boat. Absolutely. Um, you know, so I, I wouldn't, we were preparing to talk to you today. Everyone has such a different story. And so just to remind our listeners, um, your episode is going to air before this is on, but, um, like right before, so people will probably be very familiar with (laughs) who you are, but, um, you had, you are a breast cancer survivor and you are the author of several cookbooks about vintage baking. And something that I was thinking of in preparation for this talk was just that, um, baking, but particularly the kind of baking you do is so joyful and that, um, you know, this is such a dark time and such a heavy time for so many people in so many different ways, but that it is important if we can to try to find moments of joy, whatever that looks Mm -hmm. like, right? Like bubbles of joy. Right. Um, and that, that is something that you really provide with what you can, you know, what you contribute to, the world and to the conversation about food, your whole product is so joyful and also so um, tangible. It's very like, uh, it's not crazy hard to produce. You're not using crazy expensive ingredients, but you do it in such a way that it it looks so fabulous and amazing, but yet it's within everyone's grasp. And I think that's really um, amazing. And I just want to know like how that has felt in this new kind of situation we're in to be, you know, putting that out there, your, your brand, like, how do you, how do you feel about what you create in this new environment? Sure. So, um, I feel like, um, a lot of people, I mean, everybody's saying it, so I'm just going to repeat it, but everybody is baking right now. People that don't Uh normally bake, like I read somewhere that King Arthur flour, like sold more of its products, you know, since quarantining began, than it sells like during an entire Christmas season. Maybe double or triple that amount, like crazy numbers. So it's clear that people are baking. I feel like the bakers fall into two camps. There are the people who feel like I have all this time. I don't normally bake or I do bake and I like it. It, This is project time. I'm making sourdough. I'm making complicated cakes. I'm going to do laminated, you know, morning buns, whatever, whatever complicated means to that person. Hello. <laughs> Sorry about that. No, it's like a perfect phone ring. That's like it such is. a classic phone ring. It was like, actually like awesome. for baking. Um, exactly. <laughs> I'm just going to try and turn my... Oops. Sorry. I wanted to try to turn that voice memo back on. Oh, I think... Did I just do that? I think I did. Um, okay. Sorry about that. Sorry no, no problem. That. Sorry. That's okay. Um, anyway, what I was saying is I feel like it's two camps. It's the, it's the, um, it's the project bakers and then it's the kind of easy peasy bakers. And that's me. That's like, that's my whole brand. Even before I, you know, started social distancing for me, yeah. it's always about a super short ingredient list with ingredients that you find in your pantry. You are not running to the store unless like you're out of sugar and then you're running to the store, but I'm not right. asking for lemongrass and fresh lavender and I'm just not. Um, 
nothing against those ingredients, nothing against people that want to put those in their baked goods. But I'm tr- my thing is about easy peasy. You walk into the kitchen, you have everything you need right there. It's They're easy to pull off, short ingredient lists, very few bowls and spoons and whisks, you know, to, to use. I, and then that translates into no dirty dishes or very few because I hate do- doing dishes. Um, oh, and Jesse, I- you are a girl after my own heart. <laughs> <laughs> I'm always trying. Like my husband's like, why are you using the microwave for that? I'm like, because it means I'm using one less bread. Washing haters favorite thing. So I'm, I'm finding that right now my recipes are particularly um, on point, as it were. Mm, and people are really appreciating that. The other thing I want to mention, and yes, this is a teeny bit embarrassing, but I have joined um, the moms of TikTok because many, many <laughs> and many older women, uh, older, I mean, I'm really old, but like in their 30s, their 40s, their 50s, mm-hmm. um, and I fall into the last camp, mm-hmm. uh, but they are um, joining TikTok. I didn't know it was a thing because I, I joined right before quarantine hit, but apparently while social distancing, a lot of people are joining this platform. And I make baking videos on the platform oh. um, and I act like a crazy person, like truly insane. Like people who know me and love me for many, many years can't even watch them because I act so curious. <laughs> But including my older son, who's 16 and is so embarrassed by me, it's like insane. The younger kids are fine with it. He's the one taping them. But long story <laughs> short, I make these crazy TikTok videos in which I make real recipes, some of them on my blog, some of them that I've developed for another online site, some of them that I just make for the, for the particular TikTok video. But it's legit baking. It's not like crazy or yeah crazy, but are you dressed crazy. in a costume <laughs> i am not in a costume oh, okay um and um but i talk really fast i just have a kind of crazy tiktok persona oh cool but love long it story short people are really responding to that and saying to me oh my god like you make me smile you make me laugh this is such a nice respite from everything else that is going on like i feel like i've figured out a way to be giving back or to be offering something that not everybody is offering, which is like, yes, it's my easy peasy recipes, but it's also me acting like a lunatic while I'm making it. No, that's great. And I think that like, we all, you know, we all have like such feelings of like intensity and scaredness and anger and stuff, but it is important to like for people to be providing joy. Like I think what you're doing is important, like not just your recipes, but your personality. You are funny and bubbly and fun and you're in a position where you're feeling strong and good with your family and I like that you are embracing that and like you know we're talking about using our powers for good essentially earlier and I think just providing joy for people is a real way like I mean I think it's amazing the volunteerism and the the uh, philanthropy that you're doing but really like providing joy for folks and like giving people a brain break and a laugh and something that they can make at home that's yummy and fun like it's important, you know, we don't know clearly how much, I mean, hope it's a lot of time, but it's crazy. This, these times are crazy. And to just yeah. have some fun is, is very valuable. I, I mean, I think so. And it's funny. I wouldn't um, have thought that uh, prior to this. I mean, not that I wouldn't have thought that I'm funny and like bubbly or what slightly irreverent or whatever, but that I wouldn't have thought that I wouldn't have thought of that as something that I could give back to people who are, feeling whatever i mean i'm i'm bobby can speak to this the best probably but you know people are feeling a million different things right Mm -hmm. and a lot of people 
in what I see, you know, Instagram, social media, if people are so brutally honest, it's not really my style. I don't tend to talk very personally on, you know, I'm personal, I'm personal, personable on Instagram. I wouldn't say I'm super personal. Do you, do you know what I mean? Yes, absolutely. So like if someone DM'd me and asked me something personal, I'm, I'm like an open book peep. So I'll tell yeah. anybody everything I really am. But that's just not my brand on the on the platform. Totally. But people, as I'm sure you've seen, people are really talking about how difficult this is for them. Yeah. And ways where they can't get out of bed and uh, feelings of what loss and fear and et cetera, et cetera. And yeah. I'm, although I'm not feeling that, um, God, I'm super, and I'm grateful for that. But I'm also grateful that like when I make people laugh and do crazy things on TikTok, that someone appreciates that. I, that was a that was a perk to, to embracing the platform that I did not expect. That's great. You know, it reminds me of Cuomo's word mitigation. It's a very good word. It just means it's like puts things in balance. So on one side of the scale are all the struggles that we all have in a way and all the fears and anxieties. But on the other side, we have to put things that, let us have a little few moments of levity and joy and peace yep. and yep. diversion diversion and then they get to eat what they make so what are some of the things that you're teaching people oh so let me think of some well so overnight baked french toast which is a super easy peasy recipe on my website and well you guys know because you're food people i mean it's like you're cutting up a loaf of challah or brioche or white whatever you can find bread and then you're making a quick custard with some eggs and some milk and some cream and vanilla and pouring it over and i stuff a ton of blueberries in between all those pieces of bread then the beauty of this recipe and like shout out for mother's day like you can do that freeze it like that uh-huh. and pull it, out, pull it out mother's day morning and you've got this amazing french toast or make it the night before pull it out mother's day morning and you've got an amazing french toast and in my i like my favorite food or one of i i always say like i have like five million favorites but i love bread pudding and you know what overnight baked french toast is essentially bread pudding but you get to eat it for breakfast and feel like it's breakfast and not necessarily dessert what so do you mean by overnight baked you're soaking oh, oh, it overnight or yeah you're soaking it overnight that's gotcha. what I mean. yeah, gotcha. yeah 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 and then the baked part of it is that you then in the morning you're putting you know you put you're making this in like a 13 by 9 by 2 pan it's like a casserole and then yeah. in the morning you're baking that off um so i've made that um for tiktok i've made like easy peasy chocolate chip cookies like kind of a no-brainer but like a one bowl chocolate chip cookie people seem to want to make things that they can eat quickly. And again, back to that, like not do a lot of dirty dishes, et cetera, et cetera. I've done some like um, funny little hacky snack, hack as in H-A-C-K dash Y, hacky <laughs> snacks, like, you know, crackers with a Rolo candy on top that you warm up in your oven and then stick another cracker on a stuff. Ooh, that sounds like my dream come true. Right? Right. Oh my God, then, that sounds so good. And then like silly things, like I really dig a fluffer nutter sandwich. I'm not going to lie. Peanut butter and fluff is like mm-hmm. forever delicious to me. So I made that on white bread, you know, so I'm do- I'm kind of doing some, and these are just TikTok videos that I'm making for, for, because I'm doing a mixture of just really fun little quick hacks, as well as stuff from my own site. But love it. For my site, I'm also developing snacking cakes, which are my favorite thing. So like I just did a carrot snacking cake with a cream cheese frosting. So easy peasy. So delish. Calls for oil if you can't find butter, you know, things like that. Um, 
wacky cakes. I don't know if you guys have been reading about how wacky are we talking depression era cakes that are, they're like a single layer cake and you you're using vinegar and baking soda to leaven them. And and there's no eggs. There's no butter. There's no dairy. My liquid ingredient is cold water. When I make them, other people do a cup of coffee. If it's a chocolate one, but they're brilliant for right now when people are finding it hard to find certain ingredients. And I've developed a chocolate one. I've developed a rainbow sprinkle one. I'm obsessed with those. So snacking cakes, oh, it's so yummy. So snacking cakes are basically a one layer cake that has like a big, nice, thick, delicious coating of frosting on the top. Yes, they are. I mean, I, I, some people might think of a snacking cake as even simpler than that. And like all they need is like a dusting of confectioner sugar. I am, a, I am a frosting-aholic. So it's very important to me that they have, you know, practically as much frosting as cake. <laughs> I'm, yes. I'm really into a one-to-one ratio, but that's just me. You don't have to. No, I'm, I'm totally with you on that. Like, I feel like, well, I feel like with most things, like cake is a vehicle for frosting. A sandwich is a vehicle for condiments. Yeah. Yes, 100%. So I was thinking, Jesse, it must feel good to think that your cookbook is out there and that people, just all kinds of families in their boats are, you know, opening up your books and following the recipes. How is your new book doing? So, you know, the book uh, is not that new, actually. It's been out. It's been out. um, uh, I guess it was new to you guys, but it's not new to the masses. Um, It it actually is about to have its two year birthday on May 15th. So um, what I do think is nice is that I think with like a little bit of like TikTok growth and maybe everybody's on Instagram a little bit more right now. I'm seeing like a little bump in my kind of in my website traffic and in my social media traffic and in people buying my book. Mm-hmm. So, oh, that's awesome. yeah. So, and it's also, I'll just put a plug in for it, although I don't know when this will, will run, but um, for the month of May, the book is um, the Kindle version of my book is $2 and 99 cents. Whoa, that's awesome. Chronicle Books, um, which is my publisher, is doing a, is featuring it as one of its books for the month of May. So that's uh, really exciting and great for people because, again, my recipes in my book, some of them are a teeny bit more complicated than easy peasy, but not really. And still none of them are calling for complicated ingredients. So I think, you know, I think you don't want to ask anyone to buy a cookbook right now because you don't know what people have money to spend on. Um, right. But I think the Kindle version is kind of a cool offer because it's only $3. So um, tell the list, tell the listeners the name of the book. Oh, sure. Yeah, that would be um, it's called <laughs> It's called The Vintage Baker, and it, it can be found wherever books are sold. And it is sold right now on a host of different platforms, the Kindle version for $2.99, including Amazon, but also including um, uh, Barnes and Noble and others. So um, yeah, and it's simple fashion recipes. As we started off, it seems so appropriate for the times because things have slowed down in many ways and people are more in their homes and back to basics. And um, so going back to the basics of baking in the simple way of providing, you know, treats for your family is a great thing. And you say you're also delivering them to places around hospitals well, and things like well, that. Well, you know, it's funny. Um, at least where I am, people don't want, um, they, it, everything has to be packaged. Mm-hmm. So we buy food for a food for two food pantries up here, but they don't want my, my baked goods. 
Do you know what I mean? Right. To yes. the grocery store and be packaged. Um, so it's more, you know, contributing in ways we can, but it doesn't actually involve me making anything for anybody. Yes. Right. Yeah. That's definitely a, a strange I kind of I, thing of this whole, yeah, yeah, it's hard. I noticed in, um, in Brooklyn, in New York, like a good friend of mine is baking up tons and tons and tons of cookies and delivering them to, to all the different hospitals. Um, I don't think that's an option for me. I'm getting them food, but in like through, they're doing it through restaurants. Um, so I don't know why it's a little different up here. Or Yeah, that yeah. is interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, whatever you're doing is definitely making a difference in helping people and your content is, is fun and just like much needed in terms of like that, uh, a little, it's like a little sweet treat, literally. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's, it's much needed. So thank you so much, Jesse, for joining us. And, and happy mother's day to you, Jesse. You. And happy mother's yeah, day. To you. Same to you, Bobby. And thank you guys thank so you. much for having me. I always love chatting with you guys. Of course. It was so nice to talk to you. Thank you so much. You're so welcome. Thanks, Jesse. Okay, bye. Bye. Right, so we're here with Jenny Indig. Jenny, hi. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you guys? We're okay. I think like as good as can be, you know, expected. Just kind of rolling with the punches and making making what we can of it. I know. Same here. Yeah. Where are you, Jenny? Well, we I, I had been in Brooklyn up until last weekend, and then we just decided to come up to Connecticut um for the time being i think we'll stay here for a few months through the summer oh wow okay yeah yeah our last guest was in connecticut too maybe maybe your neighbors that's funny (laughs) (laughs) that is funny so i mean this has been just such an intense and crazy time and just remind our listeners um your episode is actually airing this week as we're recording two days before mother's day um you lost your mom eight years ago correct yeah, eight years ago, February. Yeah, eight years ago. Yeah, um, and you know, I just think this is all such a different and unique experience for everybody, right? We're all having different triggers and different thoughts and fears and everything. And um, having gone through a traumatic experience and traumatic loss with your mom that was so painful, do you feel how do you how does that relate to what's going on with you now? during this experience? Um, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's really interesting. You like phrase it that way. Cause, um, well, as you know, I have, I have two daughters now. I have my older daughter, um, who's eight and a half who I had, you know, right as my mom was dying. Um, and then I have a younger daughter who's almost, she's turning six this summer. And, um, we've been talking a lot about my mom. It's like, she, the younger one, um, has kind of become fixated on talking about her grandma. She calls her grandma Shelly. Um, she's actually, her middle name is Shelly. So, and she never met my mom and I don't, you know, it's been really interesting. You know, I've been really focused on just, you know, obviously doing the best we can and getting through day by day, but, you know, making sure the girls are okay and seeing them experiencing loss in a totally different kind of way. Um, and not really recognizing it as loss until more recently, like all these things that, you know, we're so normal to them, like going to school and seeing their friends and having their activities and their schedule and their routine and everything kind of got upturned overnight. And it's, you know, both of them are really processing it in different ways. And I think for my younger daughter, um, you know, it's been much harder because the things that she's not quite old enough to make, 
you know, those deeper connections online or through Zoom or on the phone. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think for her, she's just like, I don't know, like every night, you know, as I put her to bed, she asked me about Grandma Shelley. So it's like, a, you know, it's, oh. it's nice um, because I get to talk about her a lot and kind of tell her stories. And, you know, I don't know how much of it is that it's, it's sadness, but it's also fear of getting sick a little bit too, because she knows oh, that wow. Grandma Shelley, that you know, sense. passed away from cancer and I've, you know, told her and I, you know, shared a lot with her. Um, but like, she's the only person that she knows of in her life, even though she never met her and wasn't around for my mom right. being sick. Um, but she knows that she did pass away and she's not alive anymore. Um, and she kind of just, you know, kids pick up on things. So I think she, she hears about people getting sick. She's really conscious about it. She's someone who hates getting sick. So she's always, she's like the one who's the germaphobe and always washing her hands. So I think, you know, she's experiencing some anxiety about just coronavirus in general, as we all are. Um, but so, yeah, it's, it's been really, it's been fascinating to me, but also kind of nice to, to, again, like tell her stories and share things about her and, you know, remind her that part of her, you know, I carry part of my mom with me and because, you know, she's my daughter, she carries part of my mom with her. Um, yeah. So it's beautiful. It sounds like when she talks about grandma Shelley, that she feels comforted. It sounds like that's a very comforting, the way you're telling the stories, you know, the stories themselves. It sounds like she feels comforted by them. Yeah, I, th- I think she does. Um, yeah, I think I think she does. I mean, I think it's a comfort to all of us. Um, yeah. And just, you know, I think also just being in touch, as I'm sure you guys experience. I don't know if you're together in like the same physical location. Oh, um, we're not. I've, yeah, I was, I've been thinking about you guys a lot. Um, but, I, I mean, I'm in constant communication with my family, too. I think it's just, just because everyone's around more in their home. Um, you know, we FaceTime with my dad and my sister and brother you know, daily. In Chicago, right? Yeah. My dad and sister in Chicago, my brother is still in San Francisco. So. Right. Yeah. Yeah. We were talking to um, another one of our former guests earlier, Jess Quinn, and who also lost her mom and kind of just talking about how going through like a traumatic loss in your life um, prior to this, like how it could either prepare you to kind of handle this kind of loss or perhaps it's triggering or like, you know, making you feel upset thinking, I I mean, so how are you personally dealing with this? Like, do you feel better prepared for going through your traumatic time? Does that, does that play into this at all? Yeah. It's just, I, I, it was really hard for me to do it, but I listened to the interview to our interview this morning. Um, and one of the things I had forgotten that we had talked about this, but I think one of the things that was so hard about losing my mom was the uncertainty. And for someone like me, who's, I tend to be a little A-type and I'm a planner. And especially when I have big (laughs) events happening, um, like the birth of my, you know, I was pregnant when my mom was sick and, um, you know, not being able to plan for things and, you know, having my mom be diagnosed with cancer, not knowing how long she would be sick for, what the treatment plan would look like. um, And kind of being like accepting that, uncertainty. And I think there's so much of that now. Um, yes. And I, this is something I didn't share with you 
in February, but I can share with you now I'm pregnant. So I'm expecting another wow. baby. Congratulations. Um, thank you. That's so awesome. Yeah. Congratulations. Um, so in like a weird kind of turn of events, oh. like at that time, you know, the baby's due in September. Um, so again, it's like one of those dates where it's like the only thing that we can plan for is this baby will arrive at some point in September. Um, but oh, other than that, like, we just don't, we don't know, you know, I didn't think we, I, we never thought we'd leave Brooklyn. And then, you know, we made that decision. Yeah. Um, you know, I wasn't sure what the summer would look like. And so it's kind of just taking it day by day um, and, you know, trying to find some routine um, in the days and being okay when the routines go to, go to shit and, you know, you, right. know, you roll with it. And especially, right. having, you know, especially having kids, it's like you can only control so much and then um, you kind of just survive. Yeah. It's funny. I had been, I found myself throughout this process feeling really torn kind of down the middle of like, you know, having lost my own dad who also died of cancer and being like, Oh, I'm so glad that he's not around for this, especially when, you know, as a sick person, because oh, yeah. it's been so difficult yeah. to like deal with a sick parent and like having the worry about like, are they, you know, it's just such a crazy time to be terminally ill with another yes. disease as oh, well. Oh, for sure. Oh my goodness. And I kept, yeah. I was just saying that to my husband. I was, you know, we have a really close friend whose mom is going through chemo and, I just, I think about her every day and I just, I just can't even imagine dealing with something, you know, on top of all of this and the decision, like life decisions you have to make. Um, yeah. It's crazy. Just, it's such a crazy time to have a yeah. sick loved one or to be sick, you yeah. know, in another yeah. way. And then going between that and feeling like also like, oh, I can't think of another time in my entire life when I wanted to talk to my dad so badly, yeah. you know, like it's yeah. so weird. Do you feel like that? Yeah, uh, I, I do. I do. Especially with, you know, dealing stuff with, you know, my own kids were spending a lot of time together, um, you know, and sharing happy things too with her, like the fact that I'm pregnant and, yes. um, you know, the decision to have a third kid for me was a hard one. It wasn't one of those things that like, you know, I waited a bit. My kids are a little bit older. Um and I struggled with that decision. And it's one of those things that I just wish I could have talked to my mom about. Cause I know like, even though she would never have said like you should or shouldn't, I think she was the type of um, person and parent who just like would have listened and then asked the right questions to kind of help me navigate that decision. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. um, you know, things like that, like not even just COVID and this, but like all the, all the other life things that are going on too. Yeah. Of course. Absolutely. What kind of things are you are you cooking and eating and making? Yeah. Like, what are the comforts for your you guys and I your know. family? I, I, I'd say that's, like, the biggest thing that's giving me comfort right now is the cooking. Um, you know, for us, like, for our family, it's such a blessing to be able to eat three meals a day. Um, my husband travels a lot for work, so to have him home and around for meals like I think it's making him really happy it's making the girls oh, so nice. happy um that's so that's like lunchtime is our you know best time of day we all kind of get to sit and decompress and put work aside but um what am I cooking I don't know and then I'm also I've been cooking for this cookware company um I don't know if I mentioned to you last time but it's focused on um, like creating recipes for home cooks. So I had been doing that before and nice. it's just, it's gotten really busy. So I'm doing a lot of like recipe producing, helping people get through like food fatigue and 
quick and easy meals. I'm doing all of their like recipe development and culinary content, which has been really fun. Um, so awesome. Yeah, it's been great. Um, but I don't know. I mean, we've been cooking, we've been eating really well. I have to say that Mm -hmm. (laughs) out of all this, I think it's one of the good things. Yeah. Yeah. Um, One of our other guests today talked about making thoughtful meals. Do you find that because you have more time and more focus and more mindful that you, you're cooking is different than it used to be or anything? I, like the, the way I find it different is that it's more thoughtful in the sense that I, I, I can't just like have a craving or see a recipe that I want to make and like walk down the street and go to the store and buy my groceries. It's like, I have to think about what I have in the house, what's available. Um, like get more creative with what I have, which I, I personally, yeah, be resourceful. I like the constraints because it forces you to kind of be creative within, um, a certain amount of constraints. I also just think I've really been enjoying like the CSAs and cooking whatever's in, in season. Um, I recently read the book. Um, I had, people have been telling me about it forever and ever, but Tamara Adler's an everlasting meal. Um, Mm -hmm. and I think, you know, reading that and just, it's so relevant right now and kind of taking food down to its very basic elements and, you know, wasting nothing and that every, every part of every food has a purpose. And so I've been, that's so interesting. That's how I feel too. Exactly. Every bone I'm putting in the, in the pot to make stock and broth and every vegetable end and leaf and, uh, that's what it is. That's a very, I have to, what's the name of that book? Everlasting Meal? An Everlasting Meal. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. It's beautiful. It's like a, it's a beautifully, you know, you would never think that someone could write such a beautiful paragraph about boiling a pot of water, but she does. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, it's interesting. We're, you know, kind of touching on this earlier, but just sometimes it takes just a big reset to realize, um, that you might not be doing things the best you can be doing them either personally or on like a global scale or, you know, any kind of community scale. And like, you know, right. Like we should be using every part of every vegetable as much as we can. And we should be considering waste because it has such a intense effect on, you know, the environment and stuff. And so it's terrible that this happened. Obviously this is not the way that, anyone would have wanted something like this to happen. But I guess any of the like small silver linings are just like, you know, it's an opportunity hopefully to be able to reset, to try to do things better. Right. From like the way we cook and use things to the way we like treat people to the way we like govern. And, you know, there's so many opportunities if we take them to kind of try to do things in a more conscious and fair and better way. Well, it reminds me there's a Chinese character that represents crisis, and it means both danger and opportunity. So the same character in the Chinese um, um, alphabet means both crisis and opportunity. So that's what it is. It's an opportunity in this crisis to learn new things and to grow and to challenge yourself, and that is one of the silver linings. Yeah, absolutely. I saw kind of switching gears, but I just wanted to not forget to mention this because I loved it so much. A video of your, I guess must have been your oldest daughter who's cooking and she was making a hummus with Swiss chard stems and it was so <laughs> yeah. cute. It was so cute. And yeah. it was so like sweet and adorable and she really looked a lot like you and reminded me of you and it was just like really lovely and cool to see um, kids getting involved in cooking and not only just cooking, but cooking using 
uh, that kind of resourcefulness. And maybe like we have a chance of the younger generation being more keyed into that, you know? I mean, so do you want to tell us a little bit about like what it's been like cooking with her? Sure. Yeah. I mean, both my kids, I feel so lucky, you know, and I've been thinking a lot about this. Like if I ever had to write my own cookbook, I'd want to write something about like how to raise adventurous eaters because I'm so, I'm blessed that both my girls love food. Um, I mean, they're, they have their pick, you know, their likes and dislikes, but overall they're right. very adventurous, good eaters. So cooking for them has always been a pleasure of mm-hmm. mine. Um, and as they've gotten older, I think they just, they see how much joy I get out of it. And so, you know, we've, now that we're all home, we spend a lot of time in the kitchen together. Um, mm-hmm. And so, yeah, it's been great. Like I, I've been, I've also like reviewed a couple cookbooks uh, since we've been home. And so Sylvie's like really interested in what I'm doing and what I'm working on. And then, uh, yeah, I, it's just been great. It's been super fun. And she, it's, she's kind of naturally taken to it. Like I'll ask her like if she has something in mind that she's liked that I've made that she thinks she could like help describe or she'd want to make on her own. Like the other night we did homemade pizza, which is something that we love. Mm-hmm. You know, we probably eat it once a week. We do make your own pizza night. Um, but it's been super nice. fun. And then today I think I'm going to bake this afternoon with Iris. Um, but cool. you know, she said something to me like, I love she's like, I love just, you know, baking with you and watching you bake because then I'll become a, you know, a good baker. So I think oh. they're really yeah, I treat it like their school. I'm like, well, if, like if we skip the Zoom classes today and I teach you some math and how to read recipes, I think that's, you know, you're learning something. So Absolutely. Well, I mean, it's also such an interesting thing to just kind of think about, you know, I don't I don't have kids, but just thinking about what it must be like to be a parent during this time and like what your kids are learning and what you can actually teach them that's practical and you know a lot of the curriculum and you know certain schools are, are not necessarily always super applicable to what kids might actually need to learn so it's this, it must be this interesting time to think about like what real stuff can I teach my kids that they might need and I think you know cooking and spending personal time in the kitchen is is perhaps one of the most important things right yeah and I think it makes them like appreciate you like where food comes from and what we have and how we get it you know they've got they've had to get used to not being able to like have whatever they want in the house too and to kind of be resourceful so yeah I think we're all learning yeah yeah totally so Mother's Day is coming up this Sunday and just curious like you know it's it's one of those things like Mother's Day Father's Day really many holidays are Mm -hmm. I feel like alienate 75%, 50 to 75% of the population. Um, so many people either have lost mothers or have a complicated relationship with their mothers, uh, or it's just, you know, triggering for one reason or another. So being a mom who has such a close relationship with your daughters and being in this crazy time and having lost your mom, like what are your feelings surrounding the upcoming holiday? Yeah. I mean, it's like, I feel like it's a double special holiday for me too, because I was born on mother's day. So I made my mom a mom for the first time on Mother's Day. Um, and this year, my birthday happens to be on Mother's Day again. It happens Happy like every, every few years. Thank you. Um, so, yeah, it's always, I kind of, it's you know, it's always a bittersweet holiday for me, I think. Um, there's been years where it's really been hard, where it kind of like hits me in waves. I think um, the essay I shared with you originally, Zara, was about that kind of moment where it was, you know, maybe five years after my mom passed away. Um, and my daughters, you know, were both alive, but just feeling like this wave of sadness, like come over me, you know, in a way I hadn't experienced it in a few years. And it just 
kind of took me by surprise. Um, but I think having my own children now, it, it really, it means something totally different. And I really, I think starting new traditions and, and looking forward to those now that I have my own family yet still remembering, you know, my mom. And I think food is always part of that too, because I think, you know, I think about, you know, my kids now make me breakfast in bed and that's kind of their, their new tradition for the holiday. Like they can make scrambled eggs on their own and Sylvie has like her special scrambled egg recipe that I think she's going to make. And um, oh, yeah, it's really cute. And she, yeah, and I think I told you about the recipe box, but we have, like, I have my mom's recipe box mm-hmm. and we've been going through it a lot. And she like the other day or a few weeks ago had written out, you know, a recipe for her scrambled eggs and kind of added it to the recipe box. Oh. Um, and I told Iris, we we're going to make lemon cake this weekend. So she's really looking forward to that. Um, nice. Cause that, you know, that was one of my mom's favorites too. So yeah, yeah like I think, you know, honoring these, honoring old traditions and memories, but also like celebrating new ones, I think is, is a way that I get through the holiday. You know, I know I'm going to feel both sadness, but also like so much joy and, and so grateful for the family that I do have. That's so rich, the bitter and the sweet. You know, I found a really beautiful um, quote that I'd like to read about mothers. It says, but there's a story behind everything, how a picture got on a wall, how a scar got on your face. Sometimes the stories are simple and sometimes they are hard and heartbreaking. But behind all your stories is always your mother's story because hers is where yours begin. Mm-hmm. I love wow. that. Yeah. I thought that was so beautiful. It's so it true. Fits what, it fits what you're saying. It really it's does. so true. Yeah. Happy really birthday, true. Jenny. I hope oh, it's thank you. Really you. Happy <laughs> birthday and happy Mother's Day to you. And thank yeah. you for joining us. Thank you. Can you just tell us a little bit if there's anything you want to plug, like your website or anything else that you want to plug while you're while you're here? Um, no, I mean, I'm continuing to keep up with my blog, Brooklyn Balabusta. Um I yeah, my Instagram account, and then um, I, you know, I'm working for this company called Equal Parts, and I think they're doing a great job in terms of, and they're part of their uh, a product of pattern brands, and I think they're doing a really great job of getting people to enjoy and get comfortable with cooking at home. So um, wonderful, so, yeah, that's it. That so, sounds like a lot that you're offering you know, by doing that. It's a lot I'm that trying. you're giving to people now. Yeah, you're trying. Well, thank you guys so much. It's so good to talk to you. And so good to talk you. to you too. Yeah, you same, too, same. And uh, yeah, just hang in there. And yeah, thank you for your time. It was so good to talk to you. All right, thank you. Good luck with your pregnancy and the baby. If we don't thank you. Beforehand. Yeah, so <laughs> awesome. All right, take care. Yeah. Hopefully, I'll see okay. you back in Brooklyn soon. All right. Okay, bye, bye Jenny. Okay, bye bye. Thank you so much for joining us for Processing. We realize that sharing these types of deeply intimate stories on air is a very personal decision. We began this project as a way to connect our listeners through shared experiences and storytelling. We hope that Processing can be a platform for sharing, learning, and healing. We appreciate our guests' willingness to be vulnerable and value nothing more than making both our guests' and listeners' experiences with our show positive and progressive. If you're interested in being a guest on the show or writing in a listener letter, please email processing at heritageradionetwork.org. Please follow us at processing underscore podcast on Instagram. Processing is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. 
For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, and more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click at the heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.